Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. A series called Open to God, where we're looking at how do we open our lives more to the God who loves us, who made us, who longs for relationship with us? How do we take the door of our hearts and our lives, crack it open a little bit wider to know his love and goodness in a, a way that's a little bit deeper? And we're going to look today at how do we open ourselves to God by opening ourselves up to his word? And we get to study the story of King Josiah and the people of Israel in, in, in the kingdom of Judah. So would you turn in your Bible there with me this morning? It's on page, uh, if you're using one of the Bibles that are on the seats throughout the room, it's on page 503. 503. And if you read through the chapter before uh, where we read today, chapter 22 and 23, if you read in chapter 21, you read about a king named Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the most um, horrific kings that the kingdom of Judah has ever seen. He has completely departed from the way of God, and he's led his entire country into a broken relationship with God. They called their relationship with God the covenant, and he's broken that relationship. They've forgotten who God is. They've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten how they are to live, and instead, They are fashioning their lives and their society and um, their way of thinking on what all the countries around them are thinking and what the best uh, experts of their day have to say about who God is, who they are, and how they should live. So they're building an entire economic system around the worship of these false gods, including the ones we read, Baal and Asherah, as well as worshiping the sun and the moon and stars, anything else they would see up in the heavens. They've built an entire economic system that includes properties that are owned where they build temples and shrines. It includes um, uh, employees who are priests and who are serving there. Their entire society is organized around this. And where are they getting this input and this information from for King Manasseh and how he's building the country? Well, it says he's getting it from fortune tellers. Um, There's all these great old-fashioned words, uh, soothsayer, uh, it calls one of them a wizard at one point, but not a good kind of wizard, um, you know, from the stories that we like to read. These are, these are people who are consulting the devil or just consulting other, other things for their wisdom, and they're saying, well, that's how we'll decide how to build our country. They're all of the experts of the day. And so what do they do? They build these temples and then they encourage all the people to go there to engage in drunkenness, to engage in sexual sin. That's what all the other nations are doing. That's what all the other nations say to do. Their values are a mess. Their people are a mess. And it's leading to their own destruction. It talks about Manasseh. Instead of um, caring for the widow, the orphan, the refugee, that he's actually shedding innocent blood. That's another thing that all the nations around them said was a good thing. Build your kingdom up. Build up the power of your armies and your cities by exploiting the poor and the vulnerable. So that's what he's doing. He's shedding innocent blood. He's killing the weak who are dead weight. He's destroying his political opponents. 
he's following the best practices of kingdom building of the day. He dies after 55 years of reigning. That's almost two generations of reigning. And his son takes the throne, and the country's such a mess that within two years, his son Amon's political advisors have assassinated him in his castle. And then when the people of Judah find out, then they kill all the people who assassinated them. And now Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, takes over as an eight-year-old. That's the context of what's going on in the kingdom of Judah. It's a mess. And for generations, they have been disconnected from relationship with God in the covenant. And Josiah, as he grows, opens himself up to the Lord. He begins to live his life opened up to God, and so he looks at the temple lying in ruin and with all these other false gods and shrines built into it, and he says, let's repair the temple. So he sends a messenger, one of his employees, over to the priest of the temple, a guy named Hilkiah, Side note, when I was in junior high, our church did like a musical about Josiah, and so we, we all got little parts, and I got, I was Hilkiah. I was like a priest. Isn't that weird? Who knew? I had no idea. I didn't know what a priest was. I'd be a priest one day. So I got to sing a solo about Hilkiah. It's pretty fun. Um, you can ask my parents if they have a VHS of it. He sends an employee to Hilkiah, and Hilkiah is going to find some resources to do some repairs of the temple and he's looking through the temple, and he finds a scroll. A scroll that no one had read, a scroll that had been lost. And and look at what he says there. He says, I have found, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. The scroll he found was most likely the scroll of the book of Deuteronomy, which Moses wrote at the very end of his life to retell the story of God's love for his people, God inviting them into relationship, of time and time again when the people failed, of God coming back to them. He finds the scroll of Deuteronomy that no one had read, that they had lost, the story that they had forgotten, the instructions about how to live that they disregarded for generations, the law of the Lord had been forgotten, distrusted, misrepresented. Hilkiah finds it, and he takes a risk of trusting Josiah. How will Josiah respond to this? Josiah hears it read, and he weeps. The worshiping of other gods, the killing and sacrificing of their own poor, It had gotten so bad that Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, had sacrificed his firstborn son because that's what everyone around him said would help prosper his house and his nation. That would have been Josiah's uncle. All of that has been a breaking of relationship with the God who loves them. And Josiah hears about this for the first time. And he weeps. At the word of the Lord. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you haven't heard the Bible read before. Maybe this is your first time hearing the word of the Lord. It is the voice of God who loves you. Maybe you've had a Bible on your bookshelf. Maybe it's been around. (laughs) Maybe you've heard people read it. 
but you've never really opened it and read it for yourself or experienced that it's God speaking to you. Maybe you've had a life in the church. Maybe there's a time you look back on and you go, I think I used to read the Bible, but it doesn't hold much interest for me now. I don't have much connection to it now. Can you imagine what it was like for Josiah, for Hilkiah, for those people to have the scroll of God in their hands for the first time and to read and to find out of God's love for them in the book? That's what it is for us to read the Bible, to have the word of the Lord's in our hands. When we hear it, we are hearing the very voice of God. So to open our hearts to God is to open our hearts to God's word. When we're open to God's word, we discover three things. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write these three words down, and we'll, we'll walk through them here in the next few minutes. We're open to God and his word. We read a story. In that story, we we read that we are cherished, that we are loved by God. And when we're open to God and his word, we realize that we are nourished by his word. And when we're open to God and his word, we relearn, we rediscover, we remember how we can live a life that flourishes. We're cherished, we're nourished, we learn how we can flourish. When we're open to God, we read that we're cherished. The story of the Bible is the story of God loving people. That he made us out of his love for us. That he longs for us to be in relationship with him. With his creation, with you and me, with with his children. Josiah would have picked up that scroll in Deuteronomy and read Deuteronomy 4. Where Moses says, it's not because you are more numerous than any other nation that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you. It was because the Lord loved you and he kept the promise he had for you. As we read the rest of the Bible, we read that that is true, not just for the people of Israel, but for every person. That the Lord loved you and he chose you and he keeps his promise to always love you to forgive you, to invite you into relationship with him. Have you, have you heard that before? Have you heard that message before? How easily we forget that God made us so that he could love us and we could be loved by him. We need reminded of this story that God continues to invite us into relationship and that that relationship is a deep personal reality. I was talking with someone this week who follows a different religion. And they were telling me about their religion that, that if they do the right things, if they follow the right way, if they obey the tenets of the religion, then they can um, get to heaven. And when they're in heaven, things will be better. But that God will still be on the top of a mountain. And they'll be on the, on the plain. And that's as close as they will ever be to God. That they can do the right thing and, and earn a place in God's heaven but never a relationship with God. And the story of the Bible, it, it's, that, it's not that we have to do something to earn a relationship with God, that if we're good enough, then, then we get to, to connect with him. It's that, no, God so wants a relationship with us that he has made a way. 
and that we can actually see him and know him. Josiah would have read the story of Moses when God's glory passes in front of him, when it says Moses saw him face to face. We read the rest of the Bible and we see that we all can meet with God face to face. Not with anything separating us. We'll say in our liturgy in a few moments, when we get to heaven, we will see him face to face. This is the story of being cherished by God who loves us, who knows us, who invites us into relationship. A relationship we don't have to earn, but a relationship we can receive. It is so easy to look at the world and believe that we're alone. To believe all the voices out there who will say, you can't know if there's a God. You can't know what happens when you die. You can't know what way you are supposed to live. You can't fashion your life and following the Bible. You can't trust it. That is what all the experts and all the voices all around us say. But to read the story of the Bible and to know there is a God who made us, who cherishes us, who we can know, who we will see face to face, who is delivering us and redeeming us. Praise the Lord. When we read the Bible, we read of a God who cherishes us. And when we're open to God's word, we realize that we're not only cherished, but we're nourished in God's word. The Bible's not simply information about God, though it does tell us about who God is, and that is important. But it's a connection to God. It's a relationship with the God who gives us the gift of his word. So as Josiah picked up that scroll and read Deuteronomy, he would have read, see how God fed you with bread from heaven in the wilderness, that he might teach you that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That we were made as people to live not just by the food we eat that keeps our bodies going, but we need the food that is the word of God. Like our systems were made to hear God's voice and to meet him in his word. And have you ever seen someone who is struggling with illness and they can't get the physical sustenance and nourishment that they need and their physical bodies begin to waste away? Have you, have you been to a foreign country or seen photos of children who don't have enough food and who are malnourished? That is what our spirits look like apart from the word of God. We were made to be fed by every word that he speaks throughout the Old Testament and even in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. There are several stories about God writing his word on a scroll and then giving that scroll to a prophet and then saying, eat this scroll. Take it into yourselves. Be nourished by it. Pastor and writer Eugene Peterson took that idea and wrote a book called Eat This Book. Not talking about the book he wrote, but talking about the Bible. I love what he says about this. He says, we're part of a holy community that for 3,000 years and more has been formed inside and out by the word of God. Words that have been heard, tasted, chewed, seen, walked, Reading scripture is totally physical. Our bodies are the means of providing our souls access to God and his revelation. Eat this book. We engage the Bible physically. We can hold it in our hands, which is why reading 
the Bible on a device is fine, but hold a book in your hands as the word of God, as a gift to you. You can read it with your eyes. You can speak it with your voice. You can hear it with your ears and you can live it with your lives. And it's for your nourishment, for your strengthening. It's everything you need. It's fully sufficient for your life. And without it, our spirits are malnourished. There's a great prayer in in our prayer book as an Anglican church that says, what do we do with the Bible? Well, we, we read, we hear, we mark, we learn, we inwardly digest so that we can be strengthened and nourished by it. Without the word of God, we ingest, we eat the words of so many around us. Words that are not words of life, words that are words of rejection, words that curse things that should be blessed and bless things that should be run away from. We're malnourished by all of these false words around us and, and, and that, that we speak and, and think about ourselves. You've seen before and after photos of someone who they don't have an active lifestyle and they they don't eat healthy food, and there's a before picture, and their, their body is not a healthy body. And then with help and with support and with determination and grit, they spend several months, they, they change their diet, they eat a healthy diet, and they do some activity and some exercise, and there's this fo- photo of their bodies looking healthier. What would our lives look like? if we were nourished on the word of God? What healing would we experience? What strengthening? What transformation? If we drew our nourishment from God's word to us. When we're open to God's word, we read that we're cherished. When we're open to God's word, we we learn that we are nourished. And when we're open to God's word, we relearn the path to flourishing. Josiah, uh, King Josiah's country and culture, they were building their lives and their society on the, the best expert advice from all of these places around them, and it led them to pain and suffering and death. We do the same thing. Josiah would have read Deuteronomy 1 as he picked up that scroll. In the wilderness, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his child, who showed you the way to go in a fire by night and in a cloud by day. God was so physically present there that to guide the people of Israel through the wilderness, there was a fire in a giant pillar that would lead them. During the day, there was a big cloud that would lead them. They would know where to go because God is a father who longs to carry his children. If you're a parent of an adult child, I'm not. My children are 20 or 30 years away from being adults. Um, I think so. But um, if you're a parent of an adult child, your parenting approach is a little bit less hands-on, right? You, You can't just offer your input and your advice all the time. You have to think about where it's asked for, where it's wanted, where it's appropriate, and You can't just make your adult children do things. They're adults, right? They get to decide, and you can encourage them, and 
you root for them and support them and you pray for them, but they're going to make some decisions that you might not agree with and you're going to have to let them make some mistakes. That could be really hard. That's, that's a good approach to parenting of an adult child. But if you parented your toddler that way, you'd be in trouble. If they're sitting in the kitchen and just eating sugar, 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 and you said, well, I don't mean to, you know, insert my opinion here where it's not wanted, but it's probably not good for you, but go ahead and and make that decision. If they're wandering into the road and you're like, well, they're going to make mistakes, I can't make them do whatever, you're not parenting at that point, you're neglecting, right? Spiritually, we are a lot more like toddlers than adults. And God is a loving parent. And when we say God is love, we don't just say God is love and there's nothing else connected to that. If God is love, then he parents us. Then he guides us. For God to say, I'm love, I'm a father, I, I, I want to be in relationship with you, I want to care for you and guide you, and then to leave the rest of it up to us, would not be caring or loving. It would be neglect, bordering on abuse. But God's not a God like that. He says, I love you. Now here's the way that is safe and that leads to flourishing and that avoids destruction. And he gives that to us in his word. And it's a beautiful gift of God's love to us as a parent. I long to carry you as a child. I long to show you and guide you in where to go. Josiah would have read Deuteronomy 6. Follow the ways of the Lord and do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. Over and over in Deuteronomy, God says, I want you to flourish. Deuteronomy 6, I want to see your cities flourish with health and vitality. Deuteronomy 8, I want to see your flocks and herds flourish so you have everything you need so that you're provided for. Deuteronomy 11, I want to see you and your children flourish for generation to generation. And God's Love and God's way is for our good. It's not easy, but it's always good. And we can fashion our lives on the word of the God who fashioned us. There is so much misinformation in our world. How often do we see the article posted on social media by your great aunt or uncle or somebody, and you click on it, and you go to this website you've never heard of before, and you read this article, and you're like, is any of this true? But how do I find out? Like, how do I fact check this? It's got such a bias, such a perspective. Throughout all of our lives, we have to be skeptical of what we read, be critical of it, Be shrewd about it. There's so much misinformation. We have to distrust what we read. We never have to distrust the Bible. We never have to be skeptical of it. We can come to it as innocent children. We can read the Bible like some of our parents read those weird websites and just believe it. We can trust that this is God's word given to us out of his great love for our good. We hold this in our hands. God's gift to us. His love for us. We hold it in our hands. We can open it. We can read it anytime we want to. 
Josiah and his whole kingdom had lost it, and they found it. I read this story this week about a, a man from a remote island in the Philippines. His name is uh, Nard Pugyao. I just want to read a little bit of his story. And as I read it, I thought of uh, Serene, um, who just uh, last week, David, she was telling us a story about her great-grandparents and their love for the Word of God and the way they passed that on to her. And so reading this story made me think of her. So this is what Nard says. He says, in March of 1956, a man stumbled into my home village of Dibagat in the northern jungles of the Philippine island of Luzon. The man didn't speak our language, so our elders asked him as best they knew how, why are you here? I've come to learn your language, he said. I'd like to write it down and then give you God's word in your language. Who is your God, the elders asked. He is the God of heaven and earth, the man answered. He's the creator of the universe and he created you too. Is he powerful, the elders asked. More powerful than the spirits that have controlled our lives from the beginning of time? Is he more powerful than our ancestors, the headhunters? Yes, he's more powerful. Hopeful we started teaching this man our language. Maybe his God could free us from the spirits. When I was 13, he had to return to the United States to raise support for his ministry. But before he went back, he translated the Gospel of Mark and gave me a copy. The Gospel of Mark in the Bible is the story of Jesus, one of the earliest stories of Jesus we have. While he was gone, I started reading the Bible for the first time. Sitting on top of a rock, I read the Gospel of Mark in my heart language, and it felt like I was actually there, seeing the characters. But the further I read, the more distressed I felt. A mob of people came to get Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do wrong? I read as fast as I could. They accused him of all kinds of false things. They mocked him, spat on him, beat him, took him before Pilate, and then the scourge and the crown of thorns. It was excruciating to read that they forced him to carry a wooden cross and then nailed him to it. Deep in my heart, a hatred of God swelled. I shook my fist and shouted, I hate you, God, for being so powerless. Why should I believe in a powerless God like you? With all my strength, I threw the gospel of Mark down to the rocks and started walking home. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't protect his own son. Our headhunters defended us to the death. Because of them, no one could touch us. I wanted a God like that, someone who would protect me from the spirits that demanded we sacrifice our cows, chickens, pigs, and dogs. And this God didn't even save his own son. Suddenly, God reached down into my heart. Nard, don't you understand, I heard him say. That's how much I love you. I gave my son on your behalf. For the first time, I understood grace. I understood how much God loved me. God, if you love me that much, I prayed, I want to give you my life, my heart. It's all yours. I went back and picked up my Bible, brushed it off, and sat back on the rock to see what happened next. It was an incredible moment as I read that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Nobody in my entire village, nobody from among my people had ever risen from the grave. The resurrection story has changed my life. 
See, he found the way of the Lord. He found the word of the Lord, and in reading the scripture, reading the Bible, reading the story of Jesus, he heard God speak to him, and he believed that he was cherished and loved by God, and he was strengthened to follow God, and he was encouraged to build his life not on the spiritist, um, uh, the spiritist uh, belief of his people and all of what the best experts in his community believed, but instead to build his life on the Bible and be, be flourished in the way of God because he had the word of, the God, of God in his hand, because he heard the voice of God. When we're open to God's word, we read that we're cherished. We find in reading that we're nourished so that we can build our life on his word in the way of flourishing. How do we do this in our life? How do we do this? I'm going to teach on this next Sunday afternoon. We're going to do a workshop on reading the Bible and praying, how our Book of Common Prayer can help us get us started in that. We're going to start groups up in a couple weeks, and the main thing groups do, they read the Bible and they pray together. They practice it. They learn to meet Jesus in his word. Just start. Just start. This morning, you've heard the word of God read. Come to it with faith. Faith in the love of God, in the nourishment found here, in an obedience to build your life upon it. Start on Sundays. And then this week, pick up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one that's on the chairs. Just open it up to the Gospel of Mark and read. Before you read, say, Lord, I want to meet you here. I want to obey what I read. I love how the story of Josiah ends. Josiah, in reading through Deuteronomy, realizes the love of God and that they have broken relationship with the God who loved them. So he tears his clothes. That's what you do as a sign of mourning when someone dies. He rightly knew that their relationship with the Lord had died. And he's mourning that. And he's wondering, is it too late? Do we have any hope? Could God forgive us for everything we've done? But he knows of a prophet, a woman named Huldah. And in, when you read the story, it gives her, her whole family and what their occupation is and where in the city of Jerusalem they live. And so he sends a delegation there and Huldah speaks the word of the Lord to him and she says, because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself, you can be forgiven. So he calls all the people together and it specifically says from the least to the greatest, the least that would not have had a place under his grandfather and father, to the greatest the ones who were doing the oppression. He calls everyone together at the foot of the temple and there before the whole nation, he reads the law of the Lord. And they are all hearing it for the first time. They hadn't heard it. Their parents hadn't heard it. Their grandparents haven't heard it. And there in front of everybody, Josiah recommits himself to the Lord. He re-enters relationship with God and covenant with God. And we're told he does it with all of his heart, with all of his spirit. And then the people stand up. And in another account of this, it says, they make a stand on the covenant. 
They tear down the entire system of oppression and sin. They get rid of the false gods. They get rid of those temples of worship. They get rid of all of those employees who are furthering that way. They get rid of all the sexual immorality that was happening. They get rid of all the drunkenness that was happening. They start to seek out and root out all of the oppression. They completely reorient their entire lives to take a stand that God cherishes them and that his way is for flourishing and nourishing. They repent. The child sacrifice, the murder, all of it. They repent. They turn from it. Why? How did that radical change happen? It happened because when they heard the word of the Lord, they heard the voice of God. They believed. They obeyed. And this morning, you are hearing the word of God as we read his scripture. With your ears, you're hearing the very word of God. You don't have to wonder. And we too can repent. We have not remembered and lived in the story that we are cherished and loved by God. We have not come to his word and been nourished by it as we ought. We have not built our life upon his word. And we have suffered because of it. And we can repent and return to him. We can open ourselves up to God when we open ourselves up to his word. Cultures change. Societies change. Nations begin. Nations end. Technologies progress and develop. New iPhones are released every month. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. The word of the God endures forever. The word of God never changes. It never needs adapted to fit in and coincide with our cultural moment. The word of God doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need anything taken away from it. It is all that we need. It is sufficient. God has given us everything we need to know him, receive his love, and follow him. It is powerful. It is strong. We can build our lives upon it. The word of God is his love for us. It's forever true and beautiful and good in every time, in every place, in every culture, for every person. It's a story of God cherishing us, longing to nourish us, longing to flourish us. We love the Bible. Because we've met the Lord here. You can love the Bible and meet the Lord here. Let's pray. Wherever you're at, however you would describe your relationship with the Lord, I want to leave you with this prayer. You can ask the Lord, Lord, give me a hunger to meet you in your word. Lord, give me a hunger to meet you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.